So with that, uh, please stand if you're able for the reading of the word today, which will be done by Jana. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father, that we can be here. Please guide our thoughts about you as we hear your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful to be here with you. I really appreciate Pastor Dustin giving me that that, uh, nice kind of introduction and the prayer. The prayer is so good. Uh, He said so much that is important to say that I feel like uh, I don't need to to say as much maybe. Um, I'm very thankful for you and for your church. Uh, You have been a great encouragement to me since we connected not too many years ago. I've been serving in our state capitol as a pastor there for 14 and a half years. And I'm not a state employee. Um, I go in because of the encouragement and support and funding and prayers from followers of Jesus throughout California, including your church, which means so much to me. And I really am very aware of that. I keep that in mind a lot, um, that the only reason I can be there is because of your church sending me there and enabling me to be there. And so thank you for each of you who participate in some way. And if you would like to to, uh, know more, there's some newsletters in the Welcome Center back there. And there's some sheets where you could sign up to get on my occasional email or mailing list. Very occasional, I promise you. Very, very occasional. Um, And social media. But I'd love to to talk to you, hear from you, contact me anytime. Come on out to the Capitol if you'd like. And I'll show you kind of some things you won't see in the news. I'll tell you what God is doing there, right? They're not going to tell you about that in the news. So come on out to the Capitol if you'd like. I'd welcome that. Um, But I'm very honored to to be able to serve in this way, even though it's not easy, as you might imagine. I'll just tell you, the Capitol's not church, okay? My my background is being a church pastor, and uh, and I've served as a senior pastor, lead pastor in a couple churches. But 14 and a half years ago, as I mentioned, I started going there to the Capitol, and the reason was because a man who'd been in a church I'd been pastor at prior to that became one of our state legislators. And so he invited me to visit the Capitol a few times. And I went into the Capitol, and because of this legislator friend, I started getting to know some of our state senators and state assembly members and staff and lobbyists. And I was like, oh my, my eyes were opened up. I began to think about what's going on there. And I said, Lord, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And if there's any way you want to use me here, I'm willing. I don't live very far away. Oh, that's such a dangerous prayer, if I'm willing, because nobody knew I prayed that. And a week later, I get a call from this legislator friend saying, hey, you know, your name came up. We really could use a pastor in the Capitol. How would you like to do that? Like, no, who would want to do that? And then I remembered that prayer. And okay. And so I stepped into the Capitol. I went and met with a senator. He didn't know me, but he says, oh, so you're a pastor. That's right. He said, mind if I close the door? And he sat behind his big desk and put his head down in his hands and just started sobbing. 
And I had the chance to share with him about the Lord and pray with him. Spent about half an hour, 45 minutes with him. And I thought, wow, that was amazing, Lord. What just happened there? And then I went to the next office. Thought, well, while I'm here, I drove all the way to the Capitol. I might as well pop in this next office because I think I met that guy once. And this senator then invites me in and says, Pastor, let me close the door. Sits down behind his big, big desk. I'm not exaggerating. Exact same thing happened with him. And I walked out of then that office and just had chills at my back saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. This is mind-blowing. And I've just continued to be there continually all these years, full-time. And what I do is I go to them to meet with them personally. I request meetings with all of them, regardless of politics or perspective or any of that. I go to all of them who are willing and meet with them and share what God has done in my life and ask about their background with the Lord and share about the good news of Jesus with them. And then I invite them to weekly in-depth Bible studies inside the Capitol. And every week for 14 and a half years, we've had Bible studies with senators and assembly members from both parties and sometimes a statewide leader, and then another one for staff and lobbyists from both parties, and then sometimes we've, we've had ones for chiefs of staff and other people, and I just do in-depth Bible studies because that's my background as being a Bible teacher and helping them to know the Word of God and apply it to their life. But for many of them, for most of them, it's about them coming to connect with God first, coming to trust in God through Jesus. And so when I talk to people in churches, I love to hear how people describe what I do, and today was no exception. Every church I go to, somebody has a little phrase to describe what I do. I'd love to hear one of yours. You might have one. But somebody said to me, oh, you're there in the belly of the beast. I've heard that a number of times. And someone else said, you're in the devil's playpen. That was a good one. And then the one I often hear is, you're in the heart of darkness, aren't you? Um, well. There's a passage that helps me as I think about it, and that's Philippians chapter 2, 14 through 16. This is one of a number of passages that I remind myself of, that God reminds me of as I walk into the Capitol. And I'm sharing it with you because I think it's a great passage for all of us today in California to be able to think about what the Apostle Paul is saying to these believers in the first century about how they are to follow the Lord in their world. And what we'll see is our world's looking increasingly like their world. So it's very instructive, I think. Again, Philippians 2.14, he says there to these Philippian believers, first century living in the city of Philippi, he says, do everything without grumbling or disputing or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, and then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, let's just kind of hop around in there and see some of the things he's saying. I think we could see that he's showing that we want to remember three things. Who we are. Let me say, actually, first of all is where we are. Second of all, who we are. And third, what we're called to do. Number one, we remember where we are. Where we are. Where do we live? Well, he's writing to these Philippian believers. He says, you live in a warped and crooked generation. <laughs> That's pretty direct, isn't it? And actually, I think that kind of describes every generation maybe. You know, Moses used this wording in Deuteronomy 32.5 for his generation. And Solomon used it in Proverbs 2, 13 through 15 for his generation. And Jesus used it in Matthew 17.17 17 and Luke 9 for his time, the Israelites in his day. And now here's Paul, some decades after um, 
after Jesus walked bodily on earth, here's the Apostle Paul using it for that generation. And it certainly fit. The Apostle Paul's writing this about 61 AD to people who lived in Philippi. And Philippi was a major city, a very wealthy major city in the Roman Empire. It's in what's Greece today. But it was a key wealthy city in the Roman Empire. Now think about that. Where do we live? One of the things that stood out to me as I was visiting the capital is I started to think about our state capital, and I realized, well, I live in the Sacramento area. That's kind of unique, isn't it? I don't think we appreciate where we live. What is Sacramento known for? Right? If you look at a map, there's a big red star a lot of times right where we live. Why? Because we're the capital of California. Eh, so what? Big what? Because when you think about it, that means we live in the, what I would call, the political and social policy center for the most populous, most influential state in the most powerful nation on earth. Let me say that again. If you live in this area, you live in the political and social policy center for the most populous, most influential state in the most powerful nation on earth. That's where you live. Now, you might question me at any little point of that. I'd be happy to discuss that with you. But it's no mistake that Kamala Harris is the Vice President of the United States. It's no mistake that Kevin McCarthy leads the U.S. House of Representatives. Californians, Kevin was one of our state assembly members here when I first started. It's no accident that California has so much influence nationally because what happens in California spreads. If you don't believe me, ask Governor Newsom. He talks about it all the time. What happens in California spreads to the whole nation. And what happens in our nation spreads to the world. So we live in a place where I would say outside of Washington, D.C. might be the most influential state, excuse me, most influential location in the entire world for influence with political and social policy. That's a big, big deal. And God has you here and me here living there. And it's not so different than where the Philippians lived in one of the major cities of the Roman Empire, just second to Rome itself. And Paul's writing to them. Isn't that interesting? Kind of a different perspective. And so I was at the Capitol and I said, Lord, I'm starting to get this. If this is what's going on across the United States, well, how do you want to use me, Lord? And I, again, I had no idea what that meant, but as it turned out, there I am. And what am I doing? Well, Philippians chapter 2 guides me in how to approach it. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to people that he had met about 10 years before. You can read about it in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16. He showed up in this little town, a little by our perspective, but it was, a, like I said, an influential city. But he showed up there in this city and started talking to people, and none of them were followers of Jesus. And he led them to the Lord. The first one was a woman named Lydia. You can read about her, a wealthy woman. And then people started coming to Jesus in this place, and now 10 years later, he's writing this letter to them. And this whole city, this whole area, the whole world around there was part of what? The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the controlling government for that whole part of the world. And 
This little church, the Philippians, were the first followers of Jesus in all of what we would call Europe, Europe today. The whole area of Europe, and this is in Greece, so if you know the map, it's like on the very edge of Europe. These were the very first believers. And what was it like to be following Jesus in the Roman Empire? Well, the Roman Empire was a place of widespread, commonplace immorality, sexual deviancy, oppression, violence, injustice, corruption, government that was evil. It was polytheistic with temples to hundreds, thousands of gods everywhere. And the current world leader at the time was who? His name was Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. Usually just called Nero. He was about 24 years old at this time when Paul wrote the Philippians. And he was already bad to the core and even got just continually worse for the remainder of his life. He died at about 30. Um, and that was the grace of God because this is one of the most evil men ever. That's the government. That's the culture that these Philippians were in. And there was no cultural acceptance of Christianity. Let me repeat that. These Philippian believers were serving the Lord in a place where there was no cultural acceptance of Christianity, none. Christians were a little tiny minority group, very few in number, and they were disregarded and rejected and hated and oppressed, and they were outsiders, and they couldn't participate in anything because everything was tied in with idol worship and pagan religions and sexual deviancy. So they couldn't go to the gym without being part of that or the theater or sporting events. And everything was tied in with worshiping the emperor even. He was called to God. So Paul's writing to these Philippian believers and he himself is under house arrest from the government and he doesn't seem stressed out. He doesn't seem worried. He doesn't tell them, oh, you should be like fleeing and moving to Texas. He doesn't say you should be, right? He doesn't say curl up in a ball and cry. He doesn't say, you know, go out and yell at everybody. He's just encouraged. And so it's instructive for our generation because this is where we, I think, increasingly live. We have it really easy, I think, compared to the Philippians. If they showed up today, they'd be like, what are you guys complaining about? You know how good you have it. But still, we live in what I think is an increasingly post-Christian world. The world of the Philippian believers was pre-Christian. No cultural acceptance of Christianity at all. Nobody even knew what they were talking about if they talked about Christianity and Jesus. We live in a time where it's been different because for centuries there's been this huge Christian influence throughout the world. And then the United States, I think more than any country on earth, because we were the only nation, I think, that's been founded by a majority of Christians from the very beginning. That's the case with our country. We're the only one. So an, an amazing influence of Christianity in American history. But increasingly now, what I find is I'm at the Capitol, which is people from all over California coming together to work in that building. I walk around and I'm like, wow, this is totally post-Christian, right? This isn't church. And I find that I have to be very careful about what I think and what I say. It's like, I think, like the time of Judges, where it says in Judges 21, 25 in the Old Testament, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I find that when I speak to people about God, they might say, oh, I believe in God, and then I need to go to the next level and say, tell me about that. 
And I would encourage you to do this, because I think a lot of churchgoers don't understand this. We go, oh yeah, this person's a Christian, that person's a Christian, this person believes in God. How do you know? Well, they told me. And then I talk to those people, and I just go a little deeper, and I find out they're not a Christian. If, I say, if they say they believe in Jesus, I say, tell me about Jesus. And they might come up with a very unbiblical view of who Jesus is. Or tell me about God. They might believe in God, but believe in lots of gods. And so I, so I have to be really clear, and I encourage you, have those conversations with people, family, neighbors, friends. Just go to the next level, and don't assume anything. Now, what I find is that the capital's a very non-Christian environment, and that's why it's the way it is. And when I was there visiting, I started to see this, and I said, oh, I had no idea that our government leaders get elected, and then they're serving in a place where it's very ungodly, very non-Christian, and, and very filled with temptation. Because it's such an influential place, there's thousands of lobbyists, and every night they're out drinking, and some of you might know about this. This is what's going on in Sacramento every night, parties every night with our most powerful people in our country, and there's a lot of alcohol and a lot of fraternizing with people, and meanwhile, their spouse or their families back home in Southern California or the Bay Area, it's a setup for moral failure and temptation and also enormous fatigue and pressure. I promise you, your government leaders are enormously stressed out. And they'll never tell you that because that doesn't look good on a campaign flyer or a campaign slogan. You know, I'm stressed out, vote for me. But they are. So pray for them as God is at work in that maybe. And so all the time as I meet with senators and assembly members and staff and lobbyists, they say, I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, I'm so stressed. If they have a faith in God, they say it feels so dark here. Always. I hear this every day. It feels so dark here. I'm so discouraged. And by the way, I hear this from Republicans and Democrats. And so we need to pray, as Pastor Dustin did, and we also want to do what we can do to be of help. And so we remember where we are, increasingly like where the Philippians were. We remember who we are. Paul says there, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Wait a second. Hold on. Stop. Uh, wait. No grumbling or arguing? Isn't that what we Christians do best? Isn't that what we're supposed to do at a time like this? No grumbling or arguing. And he says, so you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. He says, you're children of God. Remember that. Why does he say you're children of God? I think he's helping them to understand. You don't need to be stressed out about what's going on. You're fine. God is here, and he's over all. He's in control. He's sovereign. And what's the biblical word for God? He's king. King's a government term. We don't have a lot of kings around, so we don't think of it that way. We think of it as a Bible word. But in their day, they had kings, just like we have presidents. So he's the president of all. That's what he's saying throughout the Bible is God called himself king, and he, we call him king. And when we trust in God, we become what? His child. Did you know that everybody's not called the child of God? Everybody's made in God's image. But the Bible says when we put our trust in God through Jesus, then God connects with us, right? Comes into our life. The Spirit of God comes in, and he says, now you're my child. You become born again, it says, and it also says you're adopted into his family. And so John 1.12 says, as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, 
So I pray that's happened to you. And if you're not sure today, that's a good prayer to God. God, I want to be connected with you through Jesus. I want to be your child. And then we're a child of the king. He's our father, but he's also the king. And he's called Lord. Did you know Lord's just a government term? Again, we don't think of it because we only see Lord in our Bible today. But at this time, lots of people, everybody knew the word Lord because there was one person who was allowed to be called Lord in the days of the Philippians. Who's that? Caesar. Caesar is Lord was the cry of the Roman Empire. And so the Christians had a hard time because they'd be like, uh, nope, Jesus is Lord. A lot higher Lord than Caesar. And that's why they were hated. But Jesus is Lord, and God is called Lord, government term. And so when I walk into the Capitol, I try to keep that in mind. You know, it's very fancy, as you know, if you've been there. And there's people with a lot of power, and they've got their entourage. I don't know if you know this. Did you know there are political groupies, even, you know, who are following people around wanting their autograph? And it's very filled with that kind of a, I mean, literally, literally Dustin mentioned the governor. I had a chance to speak briefly with the governor as I got through his eight bodyguards he let me through to speak with him for a moment. Uh, I'm not even exaggerating. You know, so it's very hard, a lot of power and difficult to get to them. But I remember, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I'm a child of the king. My king is Lord of Lords, Governor of Governors. And I'm representing him. What am I intimidated about? They should be intimidated by me. I come as a representative of the king to help them to know about the highest government. His government's doing great. It's so good. It's perfect. It's amazing. Now, he's created these lower governments and allowed for them. Federal government, state government, county government, city government. They're not doing so great in some cases. Okay? But that government, the one that I represent, is so good that I don't have to be stressed out. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, he says, remember, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we remember that, and as children of God, we speak differently. No grumbling or complaining. Some of us are like the person I heard who prayed this prayer. He said, dear God, so far today, Lord, I've done all right. I haven't grumbled or complained. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, or selfish. I'm very thankful for that, God. But Lord, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Amen. Can you relate to that prayer? I don't know about you, but I have to be careful about checking the news when I'm still getting out of bed. Like, because if I'm not careful, and you can imagine me going to the Capitol. Oh, I'll just turn on talk radio on my way to the Capitol. Arr, show up and just want to yell at everybody. Wait a second. I want to be careful. I don't want to just be a grumbler or a complainer. But there's so much sin in the world, so much to complain about. Well, you know, someone put it this way. They said, there are no new sins. There are no new sins. It's just the old sins are getting more publicity now. And did you know that's true? There's nothing new under the sun. We get, as Christians, sometimes freaked out about how sinful things are going on. I'm telling you, the Philippians would say, oh, you have no idea where this could go. And what is happening is increasingly, we're going back to their world. So how do we handle it? Well, we reach out to everybody. 
When I'm in the Capitol, I go to every office, all of them, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, and I, you know, I'm conservatives and liberals and progressives, and I'm going to people of every perspective and every view of the world. I go in one office, there's pictures of Reagan everywhere, then I go to the next door and there's pictures of Hillary everywhere. It's, it's, it's so interesting, and I go with the same message about the King of Kings. And it's amazing to me to watch what happens. Because I often think, well, I know how this is going to go over in this office, and it goes completely the opposite. The office where I think it's going to be well-received, no interest. The office where I think they're going to slam the door in my face, oh, could you come meet with all of us? Could you give us a Bible? Could you explain it to us? Thank you. Could we give you a hug? Thank you for coming by. And I'm telling you, all I do is share the good news of Jesus and invite them to in-depth Bible studies where we go book by book through the Bible. I don't pick the topics. So we're going through the Word verse by verse. So there's no holding back. I'm talking about what the Word of God says, that they need to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and that God is going to be our judge for all of us and we want to get right with Him. And He has this wonderful gift of grace and mercy for us through Christ. And I'm amazed. And so we want to just go to everybody. And we also then live differently. He says, so you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Like the Apostle Paul said in Romans 16, 19, be wise in what is good and innocent what is evil. That's not easy today, is it? May the Lord help us to live lives that are different. So we remember where we are, we remember who we are, and then thirdly, we remember what we're called to do. He says, then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life. He says, that's the key. What's the word of life? Here it is. The Bible, the Word of God, is the Word of life. John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Amen. And 1 John 1 calls him, Jesus himself, the Word of life. So that's our, our thing we do. That's our mission. Hold on to the Word of life. And this is an interesting passage here because where it says, holding on to the Word of life, that is translated in the King James in some Bibles as holding forth the Word of life. Well, what's going on there? Why is it translated hold on to or hold forth? Well, because the word can mean either or both. I think the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit might have picked this word intentionally to mean both. We hold tightly to the word of God, but it's not just for me. I'm also offering it to others, holding it out. And so we're told to be bold, to not hold back in sharing the word of God with people. This is our mission. And it's good to get involved, by the way, in things. If you want to get involved in political action, if you want to run for office, if you want to do any of those kinds of things or go petition your government, certainly please vote. But anything, it's good. Get involved. I encourage you. Your government's inviting you, asking you to get involved, which is a rare privilege historically that people in the Apostle Paul's day didn't have. So we should get involved. But also we are told to get involved in the most important way, which is this mission to hold on to and offer the word of life to people. And to be ambassadors, he says, of the highest government. Did you know that? Ephesians 6, 19, the Apostle Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you know what ambassadors do? Ambassadors are government employees who go throughout the world to represent the government. We have ambassadors for the United States in every country in the world almost, and they represent our government. He says, you're an ambassador for Jesus, representing the king. You work for the government. 
How about that? How are you doing as an ambassador? What are you holding on to and holding out to people? And he says, if you do this, then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky. Isn't that beautiful? Stars shining for the glory of God. All throughout the Bible, God uses imagery like this of light and stars to describe what we're called to do. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here he says, you're to shine like a star in the sky. Notice we're stars to help people. He doesn't say you'll be laser beams, focus light, zapping all the sinners, which is what we often want to be. Instead, we don't isolate ourselves from sinful people. We go to them and we tell you about God. We're not embarrassed of that. It's our gift to the world. As someone has said, instead of cursing the darkness, what? Turn on the light. I like how a preacher named Vance Havner put it. He said, we're not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. I agree with that. And this was Paul's approach. You could tell that because in Philippians 1, he says something that we often miss. In Philippians 1.13, he says, get this, Philippians, my imprisonment by the government for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the praetorian guard and to everyone else. Philippians 1.13, or the NIV says the palace guard. Do you understand what he was saying to them there? He says, I'm under arrest and the secret service agents are coming to Jesus because of it. Government is hearing about Jesus. And then, how does he conclude his little letter to the Philippians? Philippians 4.22, the next to the last verse, he says, oh, all the saints greet you, holy ones, followers of Jesus, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, Caesar's family, Caesar's servants are turning to Jesus. The gospel's getting to the highest levels of government. And I'm sure when the Philippians read Philippians and they got to that last section, the last two verses there, their jaws dropped. You're kidding me. Caesar Nero, the most evil man, government leader in the world, He's hearing about Jesus. People who are in his family and work with him are hearing the gospel. And not just that, they're turning to Jesus. Wow. May we shine like that. How do we do it? There's so much darkness in the world. Well, he says there'll be stars in the sky. When do stars show up the most? When it's dark. You know, I grew up in the Los Angeles area. Anybody grew up down there? Uh, when people go out to look at the sky in L.A., what do they see? You know, people would go like, oh, enjoy looking at the stars. My whole life, I'm like, what's the big deal? There's one star, right? Maybe two. I'm not exaggerating, right? A star or two. Eh, not so impressive. And then when I was engaged to my wife, we went on a hike with a church group, and we went to Mount Whitney, the highest point 
in the United States, here in California. And as we camped out near the peak of Mount Whitney, where there's zero other light, right, zero, I'm laying there at night in my sleeping bag under the stars, and I couldn't believe it. Why? Because it was so dark for the first time in my life, I saw how many there were. Millions. There's billions. I'm sure I was seeing millions. It was so dark. I was, Lord, and I couldn't even sleep. And I remember thinking, as a guy in my early 20s, I was just saying, Lord, I, have no, I had no idea. And I just laid there praising him. I think that's a good picture for what's going on with us. As the world seems darker, we just get the opportunity to shine more brightly. And may we do it as the Philippians did. They and their friends changed the world. May we do the same for the glory of God. Father, thank you for this example of the Philippian believers. Thank you that we get to shine for you like stars in the sky. But Lord, we know we can only do it with your help and your empowerment and your strength. Help us to learn the lessons that you've given us in your word and the examples that are seen in your word. And may we glorify you in our time the way you'd have us to do. We rejoice in you that you are king and you are Lord, and we have nothing to worry about or fear as a result. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.